Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Good morning. So lovely to be with you guys this morning. Um, like I said, I'm Brent. Uh, my lovely wife, Zeldi, will be here for the second service. My two beautiful daughters, Amber and Emma, they're at Sunday school, doing a double Sunday school. They love it, especially if they have snacks there. They can have snacks twice on a Sunday, which is, which is wonderful. And so thank you to the guys in the Sunday school. They do such an amazing job with our kids that we can trust our kids to go there while we are in here. So thank you. I'm going to introduce this handsome guy to you just now. Uh, he's my um, younger brother. I'm just, no, I'm just joking. Um, I'll introduce Dresden to you guys uh, just now. But we are ending off the gratitude series, and it's been such a great series just to say thank you. You know, we know, we know we've all been through tough times, but to say thank you to God has been so special. I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed the series, and I'm looking forward to Christmas period and, and after that with our families as well. So we, we are focusing today on Psalm 23. So I guess many of you know the Psalm by heart. Um, it's an amazing Psalm about the Lord being our shepherd. But I'm going to have a bit of a different focus today. It's about being grateful in the valley of shadow of death. So I'll chat about that because my friend, will, he has an amazing story about that and first-hand experience. So I'll introduce him to you now. I'm going to start with this, this quote, and those of you who have read about it, Charles Spurgeon, he was a very famous <clears throat> Baptist preacher in the 1800s, and he said this about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the, into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains and, like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom, dying, he left behind mourning, not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go to. So Psalm 23 is, is just an amazing psalm. I'm going to read it with you, and you're welcome to, to say it with me. For those of you who know it, try and close your eyes and see if you can remember it from your Sunday school days. So Psalm 23, we'll put it up on the screen. Right, the Lord is my shepherd. So, before you go on, <laughs> do you really believe that? So, this is David saying that the Lord is his shepherd. You know, and I'll go into that a bit later on. But I want you guys to read this as a proclamation this morning. Proclaim this as you read it over yourself. That's why we have the Bible. We need to incorporate it into our own lives. So, let's read it together. Right, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, you can go home now. Thank you for coming. <laughs> so we, we're going we're gonna to speak about this psalm today a bit, and my focus verse will be, even though I walk through the valley of shadow, shadow of death, that's going to be our focus today, which is quite a weird verse to have in a gratitude series. But this psalm is actually written for gratitude, not for grief. And I'm going to introduce my friend John to you. Um, John, <clears throat> John has a, has a, a long-term contact with, with us and my family um, and, a, and a great friend. Um, we, we go back a few years. Um, John led a church in Eston, a beautiful little uh, chapel there with farmers and farmers' wives. And he phoned me one day and said, will you come lead worship with me? I'm preaching. And I said, yes, I'm coming. And we, we went through, and me and my wife, and we had a guitar. My wife was singing, and we had someone on a box sitting and playing a drum underneath. And that's how we worshiped God in this amazing little chapel in the middle of the sugarcane and I still remember afterwards that the ladies made the most amazing tea and cakes and snacks. And it's like, you know, the farming community just looks after you. And we had such a wonderful time there. And uh, you guys who know my story, we, we went through um, infertility and we adopted two beautiful girls. And, and John still prayed for us before we adopted. Brent, thank you so much. Uh, morning, everyone. Uh, great to be here with my beautiful wife and my daughter, um, Kirsten Keita, my little one, she was coming, and then she ducked off to kids' church. She says, oh, no, it's excited. <laughs> so she's, she's ducked off. And then my boy, he's uh, 17, but he's on prefect duty at college, and uh, so he can't be here this morning. But, but thank you, and I just want to commend you guys. Oh, my goodness. Ross, I, I've followed your story from 20 years ago, when I think you were a youth pastor in this vibrant young oak. You're still vibrant, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but how you just... <laughs> Sorry, he's just getting ripped off here. <laughs> but how you just got into Durban and you just took apart the city. And uh, just a great to hear what you're still doing. You know, I think it's 20-something years later that you go and thing. And just, you yeah, commendable, well done. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's awesome. So I, I've followed your guys' story for many, many years. Um, Brent, thank you so much for asking me to come. Yeah, Brent, uh, amazing worship leader. Just Incredible, and thank you for all those years that year that you put in at Eston. Um, yeah, so uh, we can put a, f- a photo up of their family, their beautiful family. Um, sorry, it's a bit blurred, but they, they are beautiful people. And um, John, John adds a story of his own, but I, I would like to, to, for him to chat to you guys about his family a bit as well, because as Christians, we all go through tough times. We go through deep valleys we go through mountains as well, but we have valleys that we all have to come through. Um, so maybe if you want to talk a bit about your beautiful wife and your daughter, and this is the journey you guys have been through with, with health, okay. with them before we get to, to you, and what you guys have been through, and what God has done in your family over, over many years. Perfect. Um, so my wife uh, has, uh, from her dad, it's, it's called dystonia, and uh, it's involuntary muscle movement. Um, and uh, so when we got married, if you don't mind me sharing this, uh, her biggest dream was to walk down the aisle. Her mouth used to pull open um, because it's involuntary. And uh, her biggest dream was to walk down the aisle with her mouth shut. And you made it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, we married. And then um, in 2009, Kirst, we went over to America. And Kirst had a, a brain op uh, called deep brain stimulation where they put uh, electrodes to the center of her brain and then runs a little battery pack 
inside her, and that, and that helped control the, the whole muscle stimulus. Um, my darling daughter, she uh, was uh, diagnosed from a young age, about two, three years old, with a thing called scleroderma. It's a, it's a drying of the skin, it's atrophying of the skin, uh, it's autoimmune disease, um, but, but look at her, she's awesome, she's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, regardless to that, my, my whole thing with health, you know, the wife always says, health and wealth are your biggest treasures. I mean, I mean health, health is your biggest wealth. So that just, did I get it right? Okay, something like that. But um, she's often said that you know, if you're healthy, that's, that's your, biggest, your biggest asset. And so, you know, over the years, we've, we've different doctors and we've carried on. But for me, it's been life carries on. Life's tough. Life, things happen in life. But yet God remains good. Mm. Regardless of what you're going through or where you're at, God is still good. You, you know, people blame God for certain things. I'm like, well, you can't do that. <laughs> He's God. Um, yeah. Is that enough? Yeah, that's okay. amazing. That's amazing. Just to see you guys, and we always look at you guys and what you go through, but you're always so joyful and full of gratitude, and you're helping everywhere, and you're out there. And we just honor you guys as a family as well, what you guys do for the kingdom and for everyone else around you as well. So thank you for being grateful, but carrying this health load with you as well. Every single day of your life is a battle, you're ongoing fighting. It's not that it's gone. It's a journey. You guys are walking with God and with each other. So we honor you for that as well from, from our side. Thanks. Thanks, Brent. Thanks. So now to you. <laughs> John does things in different measures. <clears throat> so um, the reason why I phoned John about this, and this, this only happened a few months ago, so also just to be graceful with John, it's still quite fresh for him that he's been through. But John actually died for three hours. Um, he was fighting for his life after a Robben Island swim, which was a bit of a, a, a dream for him to do. Um, and, and to see their journey walking through that trauma and how they've been walking through it has been absolutely amazing. So we put some photos up. Maybe start us off about the Robben Island swim and your dream and, and just into the swim, and, and then we'll go from there. Thanks. For, yeah, so... Um it's been my dream since high school to do this Robin Island swim. It was called the Freedom Swim back then, and uh, it was always been a dream, uh, you know, to swim the cold water. So for the last five years, we've been swimming through winter at Midmar. The water's getting down to about 11, 12 degrees, and I just love that. It's that first 30 seconds of going into the water, and it just envelops you, and, you <gasps> and it's freezing cold, but it's fantastic. You know, half an hour swim, and you come out, shiver for about an hour, have coffee, and then you carry on your day. It's the most amazing feeling. But it's always been a goal to do this Robin Island swim. And uh, in end of last year, a friend said, no, she knows an organizer. We'll organize. So about 12 of us went down in April to go do the swim. Uh, uh, my dream was always to do it in a Speedo without a wetsuit. I just bought a new wetsuit about three weeks before. So it was brand new, beautiful uh, Orca 3. It was wonderful wetsuit. But we got out out to the island, and my mate was in another boat, another little rubber duck, and he shouted, it's 14 and a half, and his thing was 14 degrees and up, we'll do it no wetsuit. I was like, we'll do a wetsuit anyway, but no wetsuit <laughs> anyway, but I thought I'd be listening to him, and he's a wise guy, and uh, so we dropped off the wetsuits, jumped into the water, and that's the last I actually remember, <laughs> um, just going out to there, and of course, Swam the, swam the, the kilometers, um, we thought it'd be 14, 15 degrees, but it actually went down to nine and a half to 10 degree, the water, I think the southeaster picked up and the, 
the cold came through of the Cape waters. Uh, he got out, my mate got out at about five and a half, six Ks, and I just carried on swimming. I think I'm quite a stubborn guy. I was like, no, we're just going, we're just going. And, and those guys swimming with me were asking, how am I doing? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, we go, we go. There's the shore, we go. Um, so after we got to the shore, about, uh, about 15 meters to, from the shore, uh, and it was in the breakers, um, and uh, the guy I was swimming with, he said, we're here. So we stood up on a little sandbank, and uh, I stood up. Kirsty was on the shore with my yellow towel waiting for me, and then I, I just flopped. Uh, my heart just decided to stop. Um, just out the blue, no one could have guessed it, but I think it was just too cold in a horizontal position. As, as soon as I went vertical, the heart just stopped. Apparently, I was dying already on the way to the shore the last 20 minutes. My kidneys had closed, my liver had closed, and I think my body was so cold that it was just trying to keep my heart and brain going. So anyway, I got to the shore, stood up, fell down. Uh, that guy got to me. I was under the water for about 40, 45 seconds. My mate dived in off the boat, swam, got me there, picked me up. It took about eight guys to get me out onto the shore. Um, this is all hearsay, because uh, as I say, I was gone. Um, and then, uh, yeah, apparently I had salt water and sand, everything coming out my nose and, and foaming. And so it wasn't a pretty sight. <laughs> um, got onto the beach and they started CPR. My friend, my close friend Dave, who's, who was there, he does life saving. So he started life saving immediately. Uh, CPR on me immediately. He does say I've got soft lips. So. LAUGHTER <laughs> 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 Anyway, so we're on the beach, and, uh, and they, yeah, there was another big guy, a mate of his, Buff, who's about 130, 140 cages, really big, strong guy, and he was compressing on my chest. Even now, six months later, I still have bruises here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they spent, they spent uh, an hour and a half on the beach, two hours on the beach uh, compressing before the, the, the ambulance, the NSRI arrived about after an hour and a half, two hours after two hours. Um, so they kept going. Um, the lifeguards wanted to call it after about 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> My wife was, no, you won't. In a very polite way. Yes, you did, love. <laughs> um, there were some other words involved there. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they kept going, kept going. And um, just the different people who arrived at that time, uh, there was a cardiologist who was riding past on his bicycle for a Sunday morning drive. He dropped his bike, ran down to the beach, and he helped there get the, the, with, with the lifeguard guys to get me, get me stabilized. Uh, my mate who's, uh, who has done trauma in England, and he's a doctor, he, he was swimming with us, and he had got around to the beach by that time. He ran and bought order because apparently there was pandemonium. Uh, everyone was shouting, doing this, what, whatever. And he bought order to the whole event, uh, and, and they were able to um, get me going. Apparently, after about 40 minutes, I took my first breath, and everyone was... Very excited, and then I stopped breathing again for another 25, 30 minutes or whatever, and then I took another breath, and then no, no breathing anymore from that. Um, so they got me into the ambulance finally. I think the ambulance, there was a plastic boom across the thing, so they wouldn't break the boom. They had to drive all the way around. But uh, they got to me finally, um, loaded me in the ambulance, got me to the hospital, and of course, Kirsten and Dave, my, my good mates, they, they were really worried about how it would be. Um, because now I haven't been breathing uh, in, the, in the ambulance all the way through to the trauma. And even in the ICU and the trauma unit there, 
they took me through their doctor. I went to go back and see him, and, and he didn't give me a chance of survival. He, uh, he was very much like, no, this guy's done. Uh, he actually said that, that of all the drownings and things they have in Cape Town, maybe one in a hundred, or I mean, 10 in a hundred survive. So he didn't give me a big chance of that. They took me into the, the, the trauma unit, and uh, even there in the trauma unit, they did try to resus me for another 40 minutes. Uh, again, the doctor came up twice saying, no, listen, we need, to, we need to end it. He's not, he's not around. He's not going to live. Um, but I had, had friends there that were, you won't stop. You'll keep going. And, uh, and I think that just that encouragement just kept them, kept pushing forward. And so I think after about three and a half, three hours, 40 minutes, they finally got my heartbeat stabilized. And... Uh, and then they gave me a 9% chance of survival that, that Saturday night. Um, yeah, so they put a lot of tubes, holes in, in all over me. Um, uh, yeah, so in a nutshell, that, that was the swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so word of us, wear a wetsuit if you, and from Natal. I don't know, if Cape Townians here, you guys can do it yourself, but Natalians will wear wetsuits. <laughs> Uh, John and they were kind enough to say, share some of the videos with me that he, that he went through. And John, um, what, what I saw in those videos and what I, I hear from you, that it, it seems like God was in the small details, like in the small details of, through the whole journey that you were through on the beach going through all of that. And then the right people were there at the right time doing the right things, uh, the right people speaking. And the, and the videos you sent to me, even strangers walking on the beach speaking in tongues over you, people were praying over you while they were assessing you. Tell us about that. I know you weren't there, but... Uh, just God in the small details, you know. Absolutely, Brent. It was, it was absolutely incredible because every person who arrived, arrived at the right time. There's a video of a guy, um, Dave, I think his name is, and uh, he's, he's uh, in one of the local churches down in Cape Town. He was just walking along Bloberg, Bloberg Strand, and he took a whole video. And, of course, he starts praying and curses them. And there was a little, little policewoman, and I met her uh, about a month ago. I'm a wonderful lady, Chewiskas on fire, this incredible policewoman is amazing, and she came around, and she was with Kirsten, and she started praying, as like fervently, um, in tongues, is that right, Kirsten? Yeah, and uh, next thing, apparently, a whole bunch of people started praying, all in tongues, and uh, just, uh, so that, that, that was amazing, uh, just the right people, the right time, Andre, my, my mate, the doctor, who got there at the right time to help bring order, um, the, the NSRI, just, you know, how they, they, they structured everything. And, and it was definitely a God uh, ordained or appointed of yes. different people coming in at the right time because had they not, <laughs> I'd be in Golden Streets right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think a big question people ask with people who have near-death experiences, did you see a light? Did you see angels? Did you see God? Did you, did you have any experience at all there? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I, like, I wanted to sell my story to U Magazine, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so, no, I never saw, so, never saw Peter at the Pearly Gates, nothing. You know. <laughs> uh, I went for a swim, took off my wetsuit, dived in, and I uh, woke up in hospital uh, six days later. Um, yeah, only, only I woke up six days later, but I didn't sort of remember consciousness about a week and a half later. Um, so, yeah, all... Oh, Easter Sunday. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, on apparently on the Wednesday, I opened my eyes a little bit, but I, I 
I was very disjointed. And then uh, on the Good Friday, I woke up like proper. And then on the Easter Sunday, I was wow. I was actually compass mentis and um, yeah. So that 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 that, that was quite That's amazing, quite something amazing. And John, your journey afterwards now, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, your, your journey now then only really starts in ICU and rehab, renal failure, dialysis. Tell us a bit more about what you've been through the past oh, yes. few so, months. So my, my, my kidney, okay, my, liver's, my liver shut down. My kidneys were on, I don't know, under 20%. They were, they, were, they, were, they were non-existent. So kidneys, liver were non-existent. Um, so they started me on dialysis. I was four and a half weeks in ICU. Um, and dialysis every second day just to, they pump four liters of blood out your body, oxygenate it and pump it back in. Um, and then of course, the kidneys revived after a couple of weeks. They, they got back in, they, the, the doctor said they were hibernating because it was so cold. But um, that, that time in hospital was an amazing time. I thought, oh man, I've done the half Ironman the week before, I've done the swim, I'm fit, I'm fine. All I want to do is walk to the shower go to the toilet on my own, have a shower on my own, because when you're in hospital, you, you're at their beck and uh, mercy there. But uh, a crazy thing is, lying in bed for four weeks or three weeks, you lose everything. You lose muscle. I lost about 17 kgs. Um, I, I, looked like a, I, say I looked like my dad, who's 75. You know, I'd had, I had chicken wings for arms. <laughs> I, um, but yeah, you, 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 just, you lose everything while you've been in hospital. And then uh, what struck me on, on uh, social media is that John and his family, after all of this, have gone back to Cape Town to go give thanks. They actually went back to every single nurse, doctor, physio, specialist, every person to go say thank you and have gratitude to people who were there for him and their family in their greatest need. And there's some photos of all the people he went to say, say thank you for. And what a, what a noble gesture to go say thank you, because I'm a medical person, People don't often say thank you because <laughs> uh, um, you pay for our service. But to, <laughs> I hurt people for a living, so they don't say thank you. But uh, you know, for, when I saw that, I said, I need to phone you guys because yeah. that, that is special. So tell us a bit more about yeah, gratitude and thankfulness so, that you guys. So for me, that's probably been the biggest, the biggest revelation, the biggest thing for me out of this whole swim. You know, regardless of being here for my family, just the... The, the value of family that, that I'll in line in bed there, like, no, we've got to do more holidays, got to do more things as family. But going down to Cape Town, I, I just said, Dave, let's, let's go down. I really want to go and say thank you to the, 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 the nurse, nurses in the hospital. We went on the Monday, went to Bloberg Beach where, where I came in. My mate showed me where it was just so I could get an idea. That, that was emotional. That was like sort of half-half. He was goosebumped and very emotional um, about that. But... We then drove to uh, the netcare in Bloberg, the hospital there. Um, saw the doctors, the trauma doctor, and he was amazing. He, he was really busy, but he gave us five minutes, and he just spoke about how he, he, he was blown away to see me because he actually didn't think I'd, I'd make the night. He, he, was, he was almost convinced that, that he, I was going to die. Um, going to the, my doctor who looked after me in ICU, uh, for some reason, I always thought she was a lot taller, a lot sterner, because when she walked in ICU, all the nurses jumped, and I got there, and she was about this high, <laughs> petite little tiny thing. I was like, oh, is that you? <laughs> I actually thought she was the receptionist at first, and I was like, no, no, you're the doctor. Um, because she was so strong and so brilliant, uh, you know, um, and so it was just great to see her and hug her, and she was 
very um, surprised to see me, um, condition that I am. And then, but going up to the ICU, we went to the ICU, and then uh, we get to the ICU, and of course, about three or four of the nurses who looked after me for that four and a half weeks in ICU. So you build a great relationship with them, a great friendship, and to see them come around the corner and just start shouting, oh, Mr. Wright, Mr. Wright. <laughs> and that's, sorry, there's a Cape Colored Afrikaans accent, but I don't have that. <laughs> anyway, so they came around the corner and hugging me. I'm thinking, this ICU, you got to be quiet. You got And they just, oh, Mr. Wright. And they would hug me, stand back and talk, 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 and hug me again. And, and for me, that was the massive best thing ever. Uh, because here they've taken me from being dead to, to where I am today. And, and if you're a nurse or... Chee whiskers, kudos to you. Wow, I tell you what, um, so incredible. My value for them, and that for me was the most emotional moment in this whole, this whole thing. Just seeing them, seeing the hugs, and of course then uh, the physio comes up, and she, I used to call her Hitler. She made me, <laughs> she made, taught me to walk again, she made me do stairs, and uh, all I knew physio was coming, I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> um, but when she came around the corner and she was busy, so they called her. They didn't tell her who was there. And she, I heard her moaning at the, at the staff because now she's busy and why they'd taken her out. She came around the corner and was like, oh, Mr. Wright, it's so good to see you. And, and big, big hugs. Um, and that for me was overwhelming to, you know, the value, I think, of seeing all of that they gave me and able to say thank you. It was, uh, it was just a really, I really wanted to do that. I wanted to go back. I wanted to say thank you because without them, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be as, as well as I am today. And uh, that, that, that just blew me away. That was the most amazing thing. That's amazing. I would like to read a post that Kirsty wrote on Facebook as well. Because um, she just wrote, I remember hearing people praying, shouting, Change over. This is during the resuscitation. Ma'am, it's been one hour. His eyes are fixed and dilated. We are going to call it. It's not something you ever are prepared for to hear as a wife. Then Dave and others shouted, don't stop. It's hypothermia. Keep going. I remember saying, God, I don't know what to do. This is so much bigger than me and all of us. I knelt down next to John's cold, lifeless body and said, God, I know John is yours. I surrender him into your hands. If you need him more than us, he's yours. But I really, really need him. And my children really, really need him. So please, please, let him come back to us. And that's when he took his first breath. After three, and unfortunately, after a while, he lost it again. After three hours, ten minutes of resuscitation, they were about to call it again. And a friend, a doctor, walked into the emergency room and said, don't stop till he's warm. So from being dead to alive, being given 10% chance of survival, five weeks in ICU on three forms of life support, one week in a general ward in Cape Town to a week in Hillcrest Rehab and medical ward, kidney failure to 48% kidney function with no more dialysis, normal brain function and getting stronger every day, I just have to publicly thank, thank God for this unbelievable miracle. All the little details that happened could only have been God-orchestrated to the friends, families, doctors, nurses, prayers from all over the world, accommodation with strangers who became such rock stars for our whole family, use of a car the entire time, no detail ignored. 
God, we as a family are so humbled and grateful and are so aware that he holds life and death in his hands. It's been a huge revelation that we are his, put you on earth for him, and that our lives belong to him, and that actually he is always 10 steps ahead of us at all time. I'm so grateful that he is in control for the responsibility of life, because life, it would be too much for us. This story has so many people to thank. I don't even know where to start, but I want to start with God. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsty, for that. That's a beautiful word. And we're so grateful for you guys and what you've done and that we can share your story and God's story, story through you. And so thank you for, for being with us here today. We really appreciate it. And John, just to end off, the Psalm 23, does it, does it mean anything for you? Because the value of shadow of death must mean yeah. something different for you to, and, uh, to some of us. And, and you know, the crazy that you, you said about that, because actually when I was going through yesterday, that, whole, that little scripture, that little verse stood out for me, that the, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll feel no evil. And for me, my motto has always been, you know, life's tough, life's cuck sometimes, you know, but, but God is good. And regardless of walking through the valley of the shadow of death where you feel everything that might be against you, you can relax. You can, you know, it says it prepares a table for me. It's a, something of like a, a relaxing, because why? He's God. And uh, no matter what we go through in life, He's God. And uh, that's always been, for me, my motto, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, hey, He's my rock. He's the one who, who watches over and, and cares for me. He's my rod and my staff. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. John, thank you so much. Thank I'm you just so going to share a few more words. Thank you for your time, John. So I'm just going to share a bit more about Psalm 23 with us. Um, I won't be long. So interesting for Psalm 23, if you put it in context when it was written. So biblical scholars, guys who are a bit more clever than me and maybe as clever as Ross, uh, they, 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 they think that they, David wrote this Psalm when he was a bit older in his life. So um, when, he's, uh, in, when he was a king, not as a shepherd boy actually. Um, and he was actually, they, they, they think he was under siege from his son Absalom, who was busy rebelling against him. So he was actually fleeing from his own son, who was trying to actually kill him. So he had a small army with him, and John was sitting down and writing. And he had quite a turbulent few years before that. A lot of things went on in David's life. And he's sitting down and penning this, 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 this psalm to, to his shepherd. Now, David's life is, is very interesting. If you follow David's life, we all know him from Sunday school. He, you know, he went for Goliath, took him out with a stone. He was a little shepherd boy as well. Then his father-in-law Saul tried to, to take him out with his best mate, uh, Jonathan. Then from there, um, he went, became king. Then he had an affair with, with Bathsheba. Then he tried to murder her husband. And then he had a stillbirth cause of that. And as king, he made a lot of mistakes. But what does God say about David? He's a man after his own heart. Because the thing is, even if David had deep valleys and wrong things, he still knew God was his shepherd. Jesus was his shepherd. So interesting that David relates to a sheep. <laughs> you would think a guy like David would say, no, I'm a mighty lion, I'm a mighty bear, or I'm as wise as the owl. But he relates himself to a sheep. Now, my uncle is a sheep farmer up in northwest province. And he always tells me that sheep are not the cleverest animals around. Um, they do their own thing. They need a leader. If they don't have a leader, they just go everywhere. They have no sense of direction. They run left, right, center, and they go crazy. 
They're quite skittish animals, quite anxious, quite fearful. So they're quite interesting animals to be associated with. And if you look at the Bible, Christians get mentioned as sheep almost 200 times. So I'm sorry to tell you today, you are sheep. (laughs) But I think for us as Christians is to humble ourselves and to realize that we are like sheep and we do need a shepherd. I sense in these tough times we're trying to be our own shepherd sometimes. Or we look at someone else to be our shepherd for us. Um, so as to realize again today that we are sheep and God is, God is our shepherd. Speaking about the valley, valley of shadow of death, there is actually a valley of shadow, shadow of death in Jerusalem, just east of Jerusalem. This is where David had his kingdom. It's in the Kidron Valley, and this valley is quite a deep plummet, and it gets quite dark. So when they lit up Jerusalem with functions, with, with, with fire and light, this valley got pitch, pitch black dark. And it's actually a graveyard. They actually buried bodies in the valley of shadow of death. It's a graveyard. It was also full of robbers, so they waited for for these shepherds to come through so that they can actually hijack them. And the valley was full of dangerous animals, bears, wolves, even leopard in those times. Um, And to this day, shepherds still take their flocks through these, these valleys. So there is actually a valley of shadow of death as well, a physical valley. But David relates to this because I sense David, as a shepherd boy, had to take his sheep through these dark valleys um, and that were hampered by death all around every single corner. You could slip and fall as well. So I, I've learned a few things about my dark valleys I've been through in my life and to be grateful for, and I would like to share them with you today. The first point I want to share with you is that my shepherd leads me into the valley. Sheep won't go into the valley if the shepherd doesn't go there first. They won't go there. Why would they? It's dangerous. It's dark. It's, they're skittish. They could fall and slip. Why would a sheep go into a valley? They wouldn't. But shepherds in those days took sheep into the valleys because it was cool. It was hot in those days. So into the valleys is nice and cool. And what the, some of these valleys had, at the bottom of the valleys, there was green, lush um, grass because it's affluent from rainwater and dew that they collected at the bottom of the valleys. And they could take their sheep there to feed and to rest from the heat. So if I relate that back to my life, I know God has taken me through some deep valleys. But why? Why would he do that? Because in the end, he wants to protect me for something else. He wants to guide me. He wants to bring me closer to him. Because I need to trust him in these valleys. If I don't trust him, I won't get out of it. He wants me to grow closer to him. He wants to feed me. He wants to nourish my soul. Even if he knows there's danger waiting, he leads me into it. That's a difficult concept to grasp as a Christian. But God leads us into difficult times so that we can grow closer to him, to his glory. That's why we go into darkness, because we have to come out of it through the light, walking towards the light and shining the light out of the darkness so we can glorify God. And that sometimes asks these questions about why does tough things happen to good people? Why does a tough thing happen to John and his family? They're good people. But through what's happening to them, they're glorifying God. The second point I want to to bring to you today is that my shepherd is in the valley. He's there already. And David says in this psalm, I do not fear. He proclaims it. I do not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He knows 
his shepherd is there with him. In his darkest time, his son is trying to murder him. He's been through a lot, but he knows his shepherd is with him. He's rotting his staff. I know some people don't like the rod and staff analogy because you poke sheep with a staff and a rod. But the shepherds did use in those times to bring the sheep back, to hook them and bring them back onto the path, the right path. And what is the right path called? The path of righteousness. So God pulls us back onto the path of righteousness. Sometimes in our dark valleys, we're going our own way, which is not always the right way. So he pulls us back into the path of righteousness because righteousness, righteousness will lead you out of the darkness. And then also in those days, they didn't have semi-automatic weapons to shoot the, the robbers and the, the animals. So they had to defend themselves with something, and they had rods and staffs. So they defended the sheep against some enemies that, that came their way. So David knows his father, his shepherd, will protect him even if it's not going well. And then he says, you prepare a table for me. And like John said, and preparing a table means God will supply in your every single need. You refresh me with oil. You anoint me with oil. So in those days, if you went to visit a friend, they would welcome you with a hug or a kiss. They will wash your hands and your feet for you. Then they will anoint you with oil and give you a cup of wine or water and feed you. So suddenly David in this psalm goes from speaking about his shepherd to speaking to his shepherd. And that creates an intimacy suddenly from being a sheep to saying, God, you're my friend. In my toughest time, you are my friend. And you are taking me in and you're supplying in my every single need. And my cup overflows. So he supplies more than what I need in that time, even in your darkest time. But that needs us to engage into a relationship with him. So he tells us that in our darkest times, I need you to draw close to me. Come close to me. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to have intimacy with you. Come into my house. I will protect you. I will, I will feed you. Your cup will overflow. Even if you're dark, in your darkest time, and while your enemies are overlooking it, he doesn't say he's taking your enemies away. He's giving you enough for what you need while your enemies are still there that you can face it and get out of it. And then the next point, David says, even I walk through the valley of shadow of death. He doesn't say, even though I stay in the valley of shadow of death. So through is a movement word. It's from one place to another place. And these valleys were sometimes tunnels to get from one city to another city, like from Jerusalem to Jericho, you had to go through some dark valleys, and the shepherds have to take their sheep through it to get to another city. So God wants to take you through your valley to get to something better. It's a movement word. But many of us have been stuck in our valleys for a very long time. And some valleys are deeper and darker than others. Some valleys are longer. But here's the thing. God is saying to us, if you're not hearing my voice, you're going to struggle to get out of your valley. Because how would a sheep get out of the valley if he can't hear the voice of his shepherd calling him? Or whistling, or saying, come sheep, come. They will follow their shepherd out of it. But if we're following our own, if we become our own shepherds, or we're following the voice of news, or social media, or any other voices or idols, we stay stuck in our valleys for too long. And God is calling us this morning and saying, I'm calling your name. Come to me. Come out of your valley. 
I'm going to take you to glory for his glory. Not for your glory, for his glory in the end. And then the last point I want to make. My shepherd follows me. And he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So here's the question. Who's the king of goodness? God. Who's the king of mercy? God. Who's goodness and mercy? Jesus. God. So Jesus follows me wherever I go. And when I'm in my darkest valley, I need to focus on his goodness. Because God is good. John just said, God is good. We sang, God is good. We say it, but when we're in our darkest valleys, we seem not to focus on it, that his goodness will take us out of these valleys. Our God is good. So let's focus on the goodness of God. And then his mercy. You need to know that in your darkest valley that you've been in, Jesus has already done it on the cross for you. He's already taken it on himself. He is the king of mercy. And while we're in our darkest valleys, we focus on his goodness, but we repent from the things we do wrong, and that we do things our own way sometimes. And we say, God, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've done things my own way. I repent from that. I want to follow you. I want to hear your voice. I need your goodness to take me out of this dark valley. Forgive my sins. I'm going to invite Ross up, and we're going to share communion today. So as we, as we share communion, if you're on a deep spiritual, physical, mental, deep valley at the moment. It's now your time to hear your God's voice. He's your shepherd. It's for you to focus on his goodness. It's to focus on his mercy, to ask him for his mercy. And to be grateful that when we are in our darkest valleys, he takes us into it. He's there with us. He leads us through it. And he follows us. And I'm grateful for that because I don't want anyone else there with me in that valley except my king. Amen. You just got eldered. <laughs> Honestly, there was so much depth in there. And you just got seriously cared for by an, an elder. And I, my gut is, God is doing some pretty solid work in some of us. But uh, whilst Brent was speaking, I just realized, I, I felt like God said to me the one day, he said, Ross, you won't get this kind of grace unless you go through this kind of suffering. And when you look at a person who's gone through suffering, man, they're just more respectable than the next human. Be that. So the only way to get the grace is through this body broken for us and this blood shed for us. And so we're going to take communion. But I don't want us to take it um, somberly. You know, if, if you were in the early church, they obviously loved communion because in Corinthians, they went rushing in and some folks were dorped by the time the rest of them got to it. So they were pretty amped. The concept is this, that, um, that they were so excited to share in the body of Christ because there was healing in the body and there was grace in the body and there was love in the body and the Holy Spirit was filling their hearts in the body and there was life in the body. And, and for some of us, we're in the valley of the shadow of death and there's some life that you will literally get 
as you place your faith in Jesus as you take of this. And if you're not a Christian, this whole sermon has been weird. But if you're not a Christian, the way to the grace is through the Son whose body was broken for you. And so if you're not a Christian, this would be silly to take unless you said, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me of my sins and wash me clean so I can come into the grace of God. And all of us, we we say, thank you, God, for your body that was literally torn apart so that ours could be healed. We expect a grace and healing to flow because of your body, Jesus. Just let your power flow as we take of this in Jesus' name. cups like Fort Knox for me. One day I'll get it out. I'm going to sip it. You got a good one for me. Oh, good man. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your blood shed for me. I thank you, God, that as we take this and we sing this song, God, we're actually saying, that we go through you into grace. And I pray your grace floods us as we take. Now we're going to sing a song. One of the things that was um, amazing was whilst John was sharing his story, um, he should have been a little bit sad when he was telling us some of that information, like being dead and stuff. uh, But you could just feel in this room, just, You could just feel gratitude everywhere. Some of you should be really sad, but you have peace that you can't explain and you have grace that you can't explain working inside of you. And sometimes you just have to sing and praise God in that. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just speaks to you whilst you sing. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song with all our hearts and then we're going to go and have coffee. Is that cool? Let's worship together.
sun in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our May God bless you and be with you. Next week's carols and vitamate. And may, may you live in this message this week. May it fill your soul. God bless you.